0: The deeper things of God are often found in extended time with Him. This is one of many things that I learned from Pastor Mark Brown, who is the guest on today's episode of the Noteworthy Podcast. You might know Mark Brown from General Conference in 2014 when he preached Terry until Pentecost. You may have just recently heard of him from preaching There is a Lad Here on the Friday morning of North American Youth Congress, an event and a message that changed the lives of thousands of people. But the story didn't begin there. It goes way back with him 13 years ago to when he moved to Watertown, South Dakota and started the Jesus Church. And it is an amazing story. Uh, Brother Mark Brown has has been friends of the French family for years. He knew me when I was just a kid. Uh, and it was so wonderful to get to sit down and catch up with him and also have him invest into my life because I have so much admiration and respect for him. You're going to want to stay tuned because for the next hour, you're going to have Mark Brown investing into your life. It's going to bless you just like it blessed me. Thanks for tuning into the Noteworthy Podcast with Mark Brown. Let's go. Today's episode is brought to you by the This Is Where It Starts podcast, hosted by Brittany Scott, a podcast that inspires people just like you to chase big ideas and start movements that make a difference. Brittany Scott, the founder of The Worship Workshop, co-founder of The Battle Cry Tour, church planner, recording artist, and dreamer. She's going to be sharing personal experiences with chasing big ideas that make a kingdom impact. And she's sitting down with other successful leaders, ministers, entrepreneurs, and more to find out what worked for them. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and equipped for success. You can go follow the This Is Where It Starts podcast directly below in my show notes, or just go search it wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It's going to bless your life. there. Can you hear me? Um, yes, sir. Hey, everyone. I am on the line with Brother Mark Brown, the pastor of Jesus Church in Watertown, South Dakota. Uh, Brother Brown, how are you doing today, man?
1: Uh, too blessed to be stressed.
0: <laughs> well, man, I'm so thankful to get to talk to you today. I, I've really been looking forward to this, and uh, how, is, how is the family? How's everything going in Watertown?
1: Oh, things are going pretty good. It's pretty warm warm day for us in November. And uh, finally, all of us went through the course of getting the flu. Oh, so it's good to get that behind us. So,
0: yeah. yeah it's got to happen eventually, so at least it's done now. <laughs> yeah, the family that
1: sticks together gets sick together. Hey,
0: that's a lot of truth to that. Uh, now, for everybody listening, uh, you guys might not know this, but... Uh, the Mark Brown and I uh, kind of go way back uh to the Indiana Bible College days so I and uh now I don't remember what year what years were you at Indiana Bible College
1: I was there from '02 to 06 and, uh, you were you were a wee little lad and I went to school with your brother for a little bit <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that was a long time ago, man, but uh but I'm I'm always thankful I get to brag and tell people that I I knew Mark Brown all the way back then. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. And our family loves you so much and uh, we're we're so thankful for you. Now, um your ministry has has impacted so many people this year at uh, North American Youth Congress and and I want to talk about that in a minute. But um, let's rewind back a few years, and let's talk about where your ministry started. And when did you first feel a call to ministry on your life? Was it a a, a like an individual call moment, or was it a series of events for you?
1: Uh, series of events. I, I have some, I guess, significant singular moments. Um. I'll just, I guess, be brief in a nutshell. Uh, You know, my parents are first generation and, um, you know, they raised me around the church. And uh, when I was young, uh, when I got the Holy Ghost, I was nine years old. It just God really started just rocking my world at a young age. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I, I was probably 10, maybe 11 at the most. Mm-hmm. But having uh, very vivid dreams about eternity wow. and, uh, and feeling this compulsion uh, to, to reach lost people. But uh, when I got into middle school, uh, when I got into those preteen and teenage years, um, I caved into peer pressure. And I, I backslid uh, from my sixth grade year to my senior year. Wow. Um, but between that era of time, I had, you know, some pray through moments. And when I would pray through, like, I always felt this compulsion, uh, to reach people. And, um, I mean, I remember when I was 15, 16 years old, I had a, a spurt where, you know, you know, I prayed through and I was, I went after it and you right. Um, right. would get our church van and we fill it up uh, from kids from my school and bring them. But then again, I caved into peer pressure and, you know, went back into to the pigsty. Right. And, uh, but it wasn't until I was 18 I prayed through. Um, but when I prayed through when I was 18, um, I did not think that I was going to be a quote-unquote minister. Um, but that compulsion to, to try to reach people was so strong. Right. And so I just figured I'm going to be a... Uh, you know, faithful saint of God, get married maybe when I'm 80 and uh, <laughs> yeah. something like that. Right. But then God threw me a curveball and and told me to go to Bible college. And I did not plan that, anticipate that, and I talked to my pastor about it, and he thought it was a good idea, and I went. And uh, again, I'll try to be brief about the,
0: the no, call. No, please but, take uh, your time. Each, sem-
1: each semester at Bible college, and I had no idea I was there. I, I wasn't the preacher guy. I didn't pursue it didn't want it and I um I met a man named Jim Sleeper that forever changed my life and uh, he just started ex- his mantra is exposure breeds a burden and he just started exposing me to the city of Indianapolis and I just started getting a burden for it and uh, he would just show me opportunities where someone could do something and I just felt the compulsion to do it so one would be there was um a source of bread that was donated to the church and uh, there was just so much of it they would just throw a lot of it away so i did something called a bread run where i would take this bread and go into uh, impoverished areas and go door to door every saturday with a group of people and um, establish contact with people and give them you know bread donuts pastries and then he showed this opportunity to me uh the storefront that calvary tabernacle Uh, Had access to, and it wasn't being utilized at that time, and uh, and so he said I could use it for children's ministry. And so, from the contacts from the bread run, I started meeting all these kids. And on Sunday, I I got signed up for the church van at Calvary, and I would drive and pick up you know about twenty to thirty kids and bring them to the storefront. That's incredible. And have have a children's ministry, um, on the Sunday afternoon. And then, um, not too long after that, Jim Sleeva showed me a tent that was at the school that wasn't being used. So we took this tent, we set it up uh, once a semester, and had a tent revival in that area where we're doing the run and children's ministry. And then I came across this soup kitchen uh, for homeless people. And uh, I um, went there and met some people, and they gave me the keys, and I was able to open and run a soup kitchen every sunday morning for homeless people in indy and then jim sleeve i always watch how he interacted with people was incredible right and he he would connect with people with an acoustic guitar he could always gather a group of kids with that guitar and i I so was wanting to do that but i never sang or played and so i I went to the thrift store bought me an acoustic guitar and i beg and pleaded with god to help me to play and sing and I just like, it wasn't happening, but I just kept praying and, 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 uh, trying. And one day God, he gave it to me. I'm, I'm not like stellar Ross, I'm not like a Nathan French or
0: anything, (laughs) uh,
1: but, but I, I could sing someone on key and and I could play, you know, uh, songs. And, uh, and so I was doing that. And then, um, then Calvert Tavern, I had this opportunity to, to help lead worship with the young adult class. Um, uh, and then and then this uh, missionary came through um, one time at Calvary and totally rocked my world. And so wow. you know, now I'm feeling this desire for missions. and so all, all all of that to to say this, over the course of each semester, something new presented itself, and I walked through the door, and my wife and I were being pulled all these directions. God, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go to some church somewhere and help do outreach? Do you want us to do children's ministry? Do you want us to help do music at some small missions work? Do you want us to go overseas and be missionaries? Do you want us to do some sort of evangelistic type deal? Pulled all these directions and um, you know, four years of Bible college, not once did I ever get asked uh, to preach the chapel service just because I wasn't the preacher guy. I was just the guy that would work and do outreach. Then my senior years, when I got this near audible voice of God for me to go to South Dakota. And um, and I'm like, what in the world, South Dakota, why would I go there? And um, and so I talked to my pastor about it, prayed about it, talked to my wife about it. And then we reached out to um, the district, the superintendent, and he came up with this crazy idea for me to move to Watertown or come to Watertown and uh, start a, a relaunch of church work that was, you know, in the process of closing it was like a, in like a house type deal. Um, and anyways, I uh, I was like, what? Because when I called him, I told him this. I go, hey, my wife and I, we just feel God wants us to go to South Dakota. We'll do anything you want. We'll move anywhere you want. We're not looking or asking for anything. We just want to help. And it had nothing to do with being a preacher, being a pastor, being a church planner. And so he's the one that said, Watertown, pastor, I'll relaunch this work. And I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. Uh, But we we prayed about it. We were 22. And when we graduated, the week of graduation, we got in our car and uh, drove out to South Dakota. And uh, that was 13 years ago. But when I came here, all of a sudden it all came together. God, when we came here, we had to do the outreach, we had to do the music, we had to do the Sunday school, oh. we had to do the evangelism. it was a missions field. And so to answer your question, it it was a series of events that led to the call that I'm in right now. Um, and I never pictured myself pastoring church planning, Preaching, none of that. I just had this strong compulsion to to serve and to try to reach people, and uh, that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Yes, sir.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for for sharing that. And I I, I love that you mentioned Brother Jim Sliva because I I love Brother Sleva so dearly, and I love the part that he plays. In your story, and that man is a soul winner if I've ever seen one he is a soul winner uh, and it it shows in your life and uh, i I the first time I heard kind of the story about Watertown uh, was at general Conference when you preached at General Conference that year forgive me I can't remember what the year was um, but I remember the the message just impacting me uh, so greatly to go and tarry until Pentecost and you're growing a great church in Watertown. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, um, the revival in your city when, when God moved you there? Um, what did that look like for you? I, I know it was, uh, from what I've been told by you, it was a journey. It was a process. What did that start like for you?
1: Yeah. Um, so we've been here 13 years and, um, the first five, um, the most god awful you can imagine, and um, you know, I, I I literally I get I get a little emotional or choked up anytime I, I reference it because yeah. when I say it was the most depressing moments of my life, it literally was. Oh, wow. And the first the first two was just so dark, very depressing um, for a number of reasons, but you know, in five years, I mean, virtually, or it would seemingly nothing happened to the visible eye. We weren't having people come, people weren't getting the Holy Ghost, people weren't getting baptized. And the people that did come, you know, uh, they were they're were pretty intense, crazy, some of them, not all of them. <laughs> but, you know, but people that would come, they just walk right out because wow. um, Pentecost in this part of the world is, unheard of. It's like, you know, like a cult or something. Crazy, so, um, I got very depressed. Um, you know, I caved into the spirit of this area, which is just a hopelessness. And, um, I literally, you know, uh, virtually almost walked away from everything. I was quitting, walking away from the church. I was going to walk away from my marriage. I was so defeated, so discouraged, so depressed. And, you know, as you referenced a general conference sermon I preached five years ago, Terry to Pentecost, there's uh, God gave me a verse from Corinthians 168 8, 9, I'll tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And that was a very critical point for me um, because God spoke to me. He gave me as near out-of-body experience I ever had where he pretty much took me up to this pinnacle and I could see myself below talking with a friend of mine named Juan Lopez and God gave me context he gave me this panoramic view of my call and purpose and then just like went right back down to my my present state my body it's just it's crazy wow. and um and this all happened with my wife interceding for me um if it was not for my wife another near audible moment I've ever heard God is he said, if it wasn't for your wife's covering, you'd be in hell. And while I was quitting and giving up, I had a wife that was travailing and interceding for me. Yeah, praise God. And uh, because of that, the sovereign hand of God intervened and put me back on track. And so uh, year five, we we started seeing some breakthrough. But then again, everything broke down and we like lost everything I mean, we, we went through people after people and i i in seven years the first seven years of, of preaching not one person ever got the holy ghost when i preached so that was pretty you know and again discouraging yeah. and some people got the holy ghost before that you know whether in the house by themselves or you know maybe another church experience somewhere you know advantages came through but never me
0: <laughs>
1: wow. so um uh, but at year seven all the wheels that were spinning all of a sudden some traction came and uh god sent us some help god sent us an intern from indiana bible college named danielle Elsie. that was just a godsend and uh when when everybody left our church uh at year five when everything fell apart again she came and she was a a helper and a worker and she stayed for a couple years before she went back to her home church and then, you know, another intern came and just like God sent like just some, some, some solid people to come alongside of us for the season of discouragement to pick us up and to keep going. And then all of a sudden, um, God sent us, uh, a man named Jared Chemist and, uh, his wife, Stacy. And that was a, a critical moment because this couple, um, they so, helped us and encouraged us and worked with us and and all of a sudden we started seeing more and more conversions, more people coming and growing. And in the past five, six years now, we've been here thirteen years. We've seen year over year growth and we have a a just a solid apostolic core that any church yeah, covenant want. Um, but it's definitely take, taken every bit of thirteen years and we've we've not yet arrived but I promise you this. I, when I used to, when we were in our former building, we were in like a, it's like a, like a house church, uh, not like a typical house. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. Almost like a duplex looking thing. It was a half basement. We lived in the basement. I was so depressed, man. And I remember, I remember laying on my bed, and Saturday night, dreading Sunday morning coming. And then waking up and staring at the ceiling, and just literally just a few feet above my head, this <laughs> is where I was supposed to preach. And all, my prevailing thought that morning is, I can't wait till this is over. Wow. But now, man, when I wake up in the morning, I, I I am so excited for church. I'm so excited for what God's going to do. And we see people with the Holy Ghost and baptized, and it's been fantastic.
0: Man, I love, I love your story, and I, I thank you for sharing it uh, with us because so many people need to hear what you're saying. You know, I, uh, my family came to Atlanta eight years ago, and my father ended up taking a, an established church, and, and we've seen great, great revival, and I've seen the struggles of church growth and all the struggles that ministry c- can bring, but there's— There's something about people like yourself that that will go into a city that has no church and plant a church um, (laughs) that is so heroic to me. And I'm I'm reminded uh, of Victor Jackson at uh, General Conference this year. Uh, He was telling the story how um, how he preached for somebody, and, and somebody hadn't got the Holy Ghost for seven years, and he came and he preached, and... Quite a few got the Holy Ghost, and the pastor thanked him, and he said, "They didn't get the Holy Ghost because I preached. They got the Holy Ghost because you stayed here. You stayed here all that wow. time." And yeah, bro, that wow. I mean, that just blew my mind. And 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 you had those those all those years where it was so hard, but that's the reason why you're having revival in that city. And I, I just wanna I wanna thank you for that. It's it, you know, everybody has their heroes. To me, that that's that's a hero to me. Um now I, I do want to talk a little bit about North American Youth Congress. I do know that uh, you know, you're my friend, you're humble, so you're probably not gonna want to talk about this, but but I just wanna talk a little bit about your message at NAYC and uh, there's a lad here. It it really changed my life, and it impacted so many. And my wife Rachel and I have often talked about the importance of prayer and how needed your message was. Uh, what was it like preaching in front of thirty six thousand people that day?
1: That was a a unique opportunity. Um, you know, I, I legitimately I, I have a fear of public speaking. Um, so that was, you know, kind of a pretty over, overwhelming moment. But I've also, this is just me personally by experience. I've I've learned, I think it's more difficult to preach to a group of five people <laughs> yeah. than it is thir- thirty six thousand people. Yeah. Because you know, a, a, an auditorium like that, a stadium like that, you know, in, in a size group brings its own. Energy, its own dynamic, its own expectation, etc. Where if you're in a, you know, a church plan of five people, and I've, I've literally have preached to one person before, and uh, and you can't fake nothing. You can't depend on nothing. You can't <laughs> depend on lights or screens, just you or them. music. <laughs> it, yeah, you know, you can't like fake prophesy you know like oh i perceive someone here got healed of cancer and this many people got the holy ghost you know uh because that person could look at you like well i don't got cancer the lady next to me will have cancer and you're a liar (laughs) and stuff like that honest moments like that can happen in a small setting and so anyways um so it was it wasn't as difficult in that regard but, maybe this doesn't sound spiritual but what was very uh, a mental blocker challenge was, and you know, uh, because you you were on that stage singing is the the echo is oh, yeah. is in, just intense. like you you could hear the echo being out in the audience, but being in the center it's of insane. that stage. It's literally like, well, praise the Lord, 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 <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, how how how
0: how are 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 you you I mean, yeah. it was it's insane,
1: so that that messes up the rhythm <laughs> of, of the mind. Um, but it, uh, no, it was, like I said, it was a, it was a unique opportunity that I'm very grateful for.
0: Man, I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm a youth pastor here in Atlanta and, uh, thankfully I had a, a wonderful team, uh, of chaperones that took our youth group even though Rachel and I were singing cuz we wanted to be absolutely sure that our youth group could attend and that that was top priority and uh man I'm telling you being, being up there the and and just seeing everything that happened that week uh the one service that stood out the most to my students just when I talked to them is that Friday morning that that message and so and and I was very thankful because you didn't call for music and so I was able to just touch the Lord and focus on the Lord and that was a very special moment for me. So I thank you for that. Wow. Um you wow. you and Brother Joe Campatella, uh, my friend have that in common where <laughs> you don't worry about music in the altar call and there's something just very freeing about that and unique about that. Um and I, I also love how you used uh a prayer survey in your NAYC message. I don't have the results or anything like that, but you you mentioned them in the message, and the statistics were low for those that pray every day. Um, why do you think our generation struggles so much with the concept of daily prayer?
1: That's a that's a great question, and um, you know we could only somewhat hypothesize, theorize why that is. Um, but I think one is assumption, you know, we, we as apostolics, you know, we, we assume a lot, mm. <laughs> you know, cause you know, yeah. someone's got the Holy ghost, we love the truth and we have, you know, dynamic services. And so therefore, you know, we just assume people are doing things, but if you actually hold people accountable and just, you know, you ask probing questions, you'll find, you'll find the truth and you'll find a reality of, is, is alarming or shocking. It used to be alarming to me. It's not anymore. And I've surveyed, you know, for the past five years, going to churches and district events over ten thousand people. Wow! And so, like, when 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 this survey came out, you know, at NAIC, people like, there's there's a lot of, not a lot, but there was some, some people with feedback. Ah, no, this can't be accurate. There ain't no way. <laughs> and the truth is, the survey from NAIC was actually more positive than the results I get in live demonstrations where. I do it by hand and I get a hundred percent participation where at NYC you don't get a hundred percent participation because right. it was all done f- phone, but we still have thousands and thousands of people participate in it. Um, but anyways, I, I, we, we assume a lot and, um, you know, we're, we're such emo- an emotional movement and we're not so good at the practical side of Pentecost, the uh, day-to-day disciplines. And, um, People cannot continue what we do not communicate, and I don't think we communicate prayer enough. And another problem that we have in Pentecost is we're good at telling people what to do. We're not good at teaching them how to do it.
0: Oh wow, yeah.
1: not we're not good at putting actual tools or resources in their hands and then giving them an actual venue to to participate in what we just taught. So at our church, the first Bible study I teach, not every time, but virtually every time with someone I start working with is on prayer. Uh, not, not anything else. Because if I can get someone to be a praying person, I can get them to be spiritual. And I can lead that spiritual. I cannot lead someone that is carnal. But we always try to lead carnal people. And so um, an example of something happened this year is uh, you know a man that was a Catholic background came to our church knew nothing on prayer didn't pray at all thought he knew some things on prayer but start teaching on prayer and long story short i i um you know gave him the bible study then i gave him the resource you know as an example of how to pray and i said let's set up a time and you watch me pray through this resource and i don't want you to say anything i just want you to watch me and i want you to listen and so he would come and then he came the next day then he came the next day And so I had him a part of my, you know, I pray two times a day. And, uh, and so I pray in the morning and in the afternoon. And so I had him come to my, my prayer times that he was able to work out. This guy within a month who never prayed was now praying an hour a day and one prayer setting. And he very quiet, very reserved guy. He, and he, you know, in church service, you know, he was intimidated to lift his hands in public to come to the altar, pray out loud in public. And he knew he needed the Holy Ghost by this time. And, he's in the prayer meeting with me, just him and I, and he's like, I got to go. I got to cut out early. I got to go to get uh, some grain. He's a farmer. So he went out to the silo, meet some grain truck or something like that. And the truck wasn't there yet. So he had some time. He wanted to finish his hour of prayer. So he went into the grain bin, begin to pray and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And so that, that's the power of, of what prayer can do that we cannot do in our own flesh of trying to get someone somewhere. And so anyways, uh, I'm not in everyone's church every Sunday. So I really, so I don't totally know. But from those that I have asked and talked to, prayer is talked about every now and again, but it's not taught and it's not demonstrated. And people aren't held accountable because right now, you know, if you, if you say, Hey, do you pray? Someone's like, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I pray. Oh, really, and so, do you do you pray uh, daily? How many days out of the week do you pray? And all of a sudden, like now it gets different. They're like, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. And they might say, well, I pray every day. Well, that's awesome. But now go to the the next step. Well, how long do you pray in a single setting? What time do you pray? In what place do you pray? And then they start falling because now now they're caught off guard. Yeah. And if they can't answer right away, then the truth is they're really not praying. Mm-hmm. Or when they do give you the answer, you'll find out they're praying five times. I was just at a church, and they were, I, this was very recent, and there was a leadership team I was talking to, and I did the prayer survey with them. There was 43, almost 45 people there, leaders in a big church, and I I did the prayer survey with them. And, and the majority of them were only praying 15 minutes or less. There was just a couple that were praying 30 minutes a couple praying 40 minutes and one that was praying an hour yeah. but the majority was less than 15 which in some people they think well that, what's the big deal that's not, that's not bad but i I've, I've learned the deeper things of god are found in extended time with god and the amount of carnality and the the the, the onslaught of the flood of this world and sin that is ushering in we will not have apostolic results you know with 15 minutes or less of prayer
0: right in hosea
1: in hosea chapter 6 you know it says like priests like people and i told these leaders i go you guys reproduce yourselves i said right. i said whatever you're praying they're praying that or less and so that means if these are the cream of the crop only praying 15 minutes
0: <laughs> right what, what right.
1: do you think the rest are doing
0: yeah and, that's true. and then
1: and yeah. then in this church and um, and good people i mean i mean i i I, I like the pastor et cetera, and uh you know I run the risk maybe he's listening to this, I don't know, <laughs> but i'm leaving all names out, but anyways he, he, this church that was um let me see two three four five almost five times our size, wow, our church had almost twice as many people get the Holy Ghost as they did,
0: wow, That's and insane. I told him.
1: I go the re- I go the reason why your church did not have as many as many people get the Holy Ghost and baptize as our church did I go is because you're not spiritual. Mm. I said you could o- people could only be born again because it's a spiritual thing. I go you guys are administrative and you got that nailed down but you don't have the spiritual discipline down. Right. And I mean the Holy Ghost did in there and there was just a great you know they received it and there was just a great, you know, repentance and prayer and all that. But that's that's where we're at in Pentecost. You know, we're either, either heavily emotionally based or heavy administration based. But we're not we're not being truthful, or at least not exploring the possibility of what our prayer condition is. Right. And uh, God's trying to wake us up to it. He yeah. really is. I that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And your your message at NAYC uh, is is helping people with that. It's and and, and many more that are that are preaching on this, um, one of my greatest struggles as a youth pastor uh is to get my students to pray out loud. I know it sounds funny uh, you know it sounds so simple like it's that's not a big problem. Nathan, what are you talking about? but it really is a battle every week, every single week in my youth class or or youth rallies or different events that Rachel and I are blessed to go minister at. The number one challenge I face is just trying to get people to pray <laughs> it's it's it's, it's mind blowing to me and and what really blows my mind with that, brother Brown is that people uh see the results of it when they do it Does that mm-hmm. make sense like it yeah there are results from it, and so it's like you would think that with all these results and with what happens when we lift our voice and we pray. Uh, and I know you're not just talking about public worship. You're talking about uh this secret place, the time alone with God. But but either way, there there is a major result that happens. And I think God is helping to try and wake us up. And and I, I love I love the survey. I love the challenge. I feel challenged today. Uh, and I thank you for that. I also love uh how you talked about starting Bible studies with prayer that that's awesome to to get spiritually minded so that they can receive uh, the plan of salvation i love that now uh with your preaching style um i think one of your greatest advantages is just how you can connect with young people because you are so real you're very vulnerable you're very much yourself and i love and respect that about you and this podcast has a lot of aspiring young ministers that listen uh, would you mind sharing your sermon prep or your study process, uh, meaning on a practical and a spiritual note, what steps do you take uh, between the prayer room and the pulpit when you prepare a message?
1: That's a very good question. I, um, well, My pastor taught me you know, not to prepare a sermon, but to prepare my spirit. Wow. And so I, I, I pray... A prayer quite often that is god give me the attitude needed for the anointing wanted you know we all want to be anointed right we got to have the right attitude and so um me uh, and i can't speak for anyone else but it's just my process and whether it's right or wrong i don't know but it's just the one i've been using is i don't look for a sermon i'm not looking when i read my bible i'm not looking for something to preach I've I've conditioned my mind and disciplined it where I am gonna read for the pleasure of God's word and trying to just hear the voice of God and the nature of God. I just and I, I thoroughly good. enjoy reading the Bible. It sounds I don't know it sounds whatever. But I, I, I read it. I don't read a lot of other books and you could probably tell in my preaching. <laughs> I don't I, I just don't have like that all those resources, you know, oh, I, I love like it, I enjoy oh. reading the Bible. And so I'll read the Bible an hour a day, you know, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but you know, that's my goal is it's what I read. And I, I, I'm not doing a check chart. I'm, I'm taking my time immersed reading it. And it talks to me. I'm telling you that book talks to me. Mm. And, um, so when I'm reading throughout the week and sermon prep, whatever you want to call it, I'm not even thinking about Sunday. I'm not thinking about what to preach. I'm just enjoying God in the moment yeah. and then pray in the morning and pray in the afternoon. And my goal, you know, I, I don't always hit it. Sometimes I go beyond it. Sometimes I go below it, but it's to pray two hours a day. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just talking on God. I'm hanging out with him and, and I'm crucifying this flesh and I'm telling it no, and I'm bringing it under subjection. And so I've done that all week. And then when Sunday comes, and I wake up early in the morning, get up at five on a Sunday, and then you know, I get get here to, you know, I do the same thing. I pray and read my Bible. And all of a sudden, God will talk to me so clearly. And it comes in one of two ways. One, either when I'm reading the scripture, I mean, a scripture just like lunges out and just like like a hot iron just just starts churning my spirit. And like this cascade, this avalanche of scriptures come down. Or while I'm praying, and I've been asking what to pray, I'm just praying, and all of a sudden a a, a, a theme, a word, a thought comes, and the same thing is avalanche, and, and this like just scriptures just it just kind of start coming together, Man. and um, and that's how it happens. But like I spent time in the Word, I spent time in prayer, and if I'm if I'm t- if my flesh is completely crucified and put in subjection throughout the week, when it comes time to deliver the Word of God. I, even if it's not pretty, in which my sermons aren't pretty, but um, but I'll, I'll have the right spirit. And people can listen to the right spirit. Yeah, People are open to the right spirit. And God works with the right spirit. And, um, and so that's generally how it happens for me. Like NAIC, this may sound terrible, but I didn't pray about NAIC. I didn't pray for a sermon for NAIC. And I knew about it for over a year and a half, almost two years, because I was in a meeting when it was first discussed, but it wasn't, like, totally approved and all that. It was just presented. Yeah.
0: That's so, I mean, a long time like, to carry that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a mess, but, bro. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, and that did mess with my mind at times, for sure. I mean, literally, it was, like, prevailing thoughts. But, like, I never sought out a sermon. Um, and not until a week before. And it's the only time I've ever done this. A week before NAYC, I went out in, into the wilderness. I went into the uh, badlands. And I I got a a ranch from – or a homestead from 1882. It was a shack, like a little shanty, made out of wood planks from 1882. No plumbing, no electricity, no air, no nothing out in the middle of the desert, bad land. And I went on a three-day fast, no food, no water, and no electricity. And and I prayed, again, for my spirit that God would work me over. And God just struck me. He humbled me. My goodness. uh, Wow. And – he, he, he showed me the spirit that I am to address uh, at NAYC, but I still didn't have my sermon all together. Um, and, like, you know, they're they're hounding me for notes and, uh, you know, what I'm going to preach and sermon slides. Yeah. I had nothing from, you know. So, I want to um,
0: apologize because I was a part of that altar team harassing the, of trying to pick songs based off of the, the sermon, <laughs> harassing preachers yeah, uh, for their notes.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's, it's good for, you know, I think we should do our due diligence, you know, right. um, Glad I'm happy for people that are able to, to, to work within that system. It's just, it's just not the way I've, I've functioned. Sure. And yeah. I'm not saying my, my way's right. And other people's are wrong. It's just, it's just the way it's been for me.
0: Right. Yeah, and sure. so,
1: um, anyways, uh, so even, even for something as major as NAIC, I didn't have a written plan. You know, I was just getting my spirit right. Um, and so that's kind of a typical preparation for me
0: wow that's incredible and uh, i'm i've noticed that that most of the men that i i really really admire and respect in the pulpit have uh, a similar way of preparing now uh this is an optional question here <laughs> but and and i've asked this a few times nobody hates me yet um uh, you know, no stones have been thrown at me yet for this, but what's your most embarrassing moment on a platform?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I can't, I don't think I could share, you know, probably the most embarrassing moments, <laughs> it's okay, uh,
0: whichever one you want,
1: but, uh, a couple <laughs> silly ones, I guess, you know, would be, you know, sometimes when I, I do get excited every now and again, I might jump around, move around and I definitely one time when I was preaching, you know, uh, I split I split my pants for sure. <laughs> oh, and I stayed behind the pulpit after that, and I needed to find a repairer of the breeches. <laughs> um, another time I was trying mm-hmm. to display uh, the 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 oneness of God, and you know I pretended to be you know certain, you know talking you know talking like a trinitarian perspective, mm. and I sat on the throne as a father, and I called for my son who was, you know, three years old at the time, you know, and uh, called him to the platform and he's standing next to me. And I was just saying, you know, you know, what, what kind of God, you know, or what kind of father would say, I love you guys so much. And then look at his son and it's like, all right, you go get him, <laughs> And, and, and I, I, I pushed my son and he fell off the platform oh, no. and biffed it and just screamed and wailed and cried. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, so yeah, that was uh, that was a silly moment, and uh, so, awful. so I really looked like a bad father <laughs> in, in that moment.
0: I was like, you see, see, if I really
1: loved you guys, I would I would have came and died for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> point made. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. So uh, I'm sure he uh, recuperated okay from the fall.
1: Yeah, he's, he's still alive. It's good.
0: Wow, that's a good illustration, though. I like that. I mean, I I hate it went bad for you, but. But (laughs) I do like that. Now, um, I've used your quote often that states, uh, I've actually quoted it on this podcast a couple times, God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. And in a busy world filled with fast-paced living, everybody's in a hurry, what advice would you give to young people to make sure that they're available to do what God has called them to do?
1: This, this would kind of tie back to your, your question as to why, why do you think you know, there's a struggle for prayer in our generation? And there's, yeah. there's more answers to that question. I, we only discussed like one aspect of it. But another aspect is we don't make ourselves available because we are so busy. And we have to learn to prioritize. And uh, if, you, if, if you don't plan for tomorrow, you know, you're going to fail. Just, so to be successful tomorrow, plan today. I heard someone once say, "I don't know who said it, but it's just something that stuck with me." And so, um, people have to intentionally look at their day. And you know, our days are very similar; like right. every day, pretty pretty similar. So we have a, a, a decent expectation of what our days going to look like for the most part. And if we're not praying, if we're not you know being spiritual, then we just we got to look at okay, this is what my days I anticipate to look like. So I, you. Can adjust that day, but something—you only have 24 hours, so something's going to give. And so you got to pick and choose what, what's going to to lose. And uh, me, I, I, I like to treat my my uh, devotional life like my finances—the principle of tithing. And uh, the moment you get your finance, immediately there's a competition for your finance. And that's why God established first roots, You know, put Him first before anything else. Right. At ten percent. And so with with my day, uh, the moment you wake up, there's an immediate competition for your time. And so if I use my time first fruits, I, I want to give God the first part of my day. And the best way to not have to fight competition for time is to get up before the competition. Mm, so early morning good. early morning Bible reading can help you before all these distractions in the day invade your schedule and invade your time. So I think setting up uh, a time would be very beneficial for people saying, this is my time. This is my place. And it belongs to only God and no one else is allowed to be there. Right. So keep going out of there. Keep your tablet out of there. keep everything out of there and uh, you know, make it a mission. I want to talk to God before I talk to people, make God the first person you want to talk to. And because, you know, life is fast. And if prayer is like aftermath after the day, you know, then like, Uh, you just went through a whole battle without, you know, spiritual armor. Right. And you wonder why you struggle, why you're defeated, why you lost, you know? So I think praying the beginning of the day is very healthy. I think praying more than one time a day is, is, is optimal. But I definitely think prayer in the beginning of your day, you know, to prepare for the battle that's ahead of you. Um, and different times of the day have different temperaments or moods of prayer, so like me, my morning prayer is more preparatory. I'm preparing for the day ahead, and I'm praying for the day ahead, and I'm praying for me and my family. But in the afternoon and the evening, that's when I get more into intercession and supplication. I'm I'm bringing my petitions and my needs and, and praying on behalf of others. Yeah. So yeah. I found that to be for me.
0: Man, I, I love that advice. And And there is something about... Uh, the culture and the world that we live in. And, and I think every generation has had to face it, that that we've we've got to make ourselves available. And I love how you paralleled it to finances, how with ties, you know, we, we have to put that first because everything's going to be tugging for that. Uh, and it's definitely the same with our prayer life. Thank you for that. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to close with this question because um, unfortunately I could... I could keep you here for like three or four hours, and 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 you're too busy to do that. So I have to cut myself off. But, but uh, I wanna I wanna close with this question, and I, I've been asking this question to every single um, preacher that I've been able to have a conversation with. And at NAYC, uh, Brother Jack Cunningham preached uh, Generation Z Apostolic to the core. And what words of advice? Would you leave Generation Z? And this could also be Millennials. Uh, but what do we need to work on to better ourselves in this last generation to make sure that we are being apostolic to the core?
1: Well, it, it sounds so elementary, and I, I sound like a broken record, but man, our devotional life is the biggest part of our life. Yeah. And uh, that prayer in that Bible reading, um, because Generation Z and Millennials, as well, uh, some of the most inferior feeling people, inferiority complex, insecurity, low self esteem, and it, going back to the previous you know statement about you know God doesn't need your ability, He needs your availability, yeah. and people um, base their value and worth upon their ability and the venues that they get to put those abilities on. And yeah, uh, there's limited venues and there's, you know, in, in reality, most of us are not going to have our abilities on display before people or events or conferences, conventions, etc. And so we could feel like we're not worth much. The truth is if you could be available in prayer, you will find your worth, you will find your value. And so me, you know, uh, the past five years, God's opened this door where I, I, my wife and I, we travel across the country and overseas, and we preach out these big events. And and uh, I've never sought it out. I've never handed out a card. I never called anyone in my life. I never pursued it. Yeah. Just minding my own business in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. But when I when I broke through depression and and because I felt so inferior, my 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 value, my worth at the beginning, because I didn't seem like I was producing anything. But once I had a solid prayer life. And see, and here's the deal, it's like a lot of us are part of you know, decent sized churches, so we can ride the coattails of other people's spirituality and feel pretty all right about ourselves. Yeah. You know, even though we're not doing anything. But when you're when you're in a church plant or missions work and there is no atmosphere of victory or breakthrough, you're mm-hmm. the only one that's gonna produce that atmosphere. And that's what happened, with my wife and I. You know, we couldn't enjoy the atmosphere of IBC, Calvary Tabernacle, Paul Mooney. You know, we we were the atmosphere. And so once we, my wife and I got a solid devotional life, solid prayer life, and we had to fight for it, man. All of a sudden, my worth and my value had nothing to do with how many people came through our doors, how many events I'm preaching, not preaching. I found my value, my worth, my confidence in the presence of God. And so... um, I, I'm very secure. I'm very confident in that regard. And so when you see all these people that are low self-esteem, depression, high suicide rates, all this kind of stuff going on in, in generation Z and millennials, I, 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 point back to prayer life. Cause when you're really with, with God, and you're, you're tucked away with him. I mean, you're going to find out who you are and your worth, you know, first Corinthians chapter three, verse 21 Uh, through 23 is remarkable. It says, you know, let no man glory in, in, in the flesh, glory in people. He says, all things are yours. And so, and then he goes on to say, he goes, don't glory in Paul, Apollo or Cephas, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, they find their value worth and who's their mentor. And if they went to a service and Stone King touched them and, and Jack Cunningham imparted his mantles to them. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, there aren't impartations, there mm-hmm. aren't mantles, yeah, I but you. the draw to the draw to it is people think it's like a shortcut or a direct route to, to anointing and authority. And they think they can bypass sacrifice, process, and devotion. And that's not how it works. And so if 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 our younger generation can begin to pray, the Bible says, don't glory in flesh. All things are yours. Meaning, I'm no different than you. And you're no different than Stone King. And you're no different than Victor Jackson, Joe Campitella. I mean, we name drop whatever preacher that we think is powerful and remarkable. Right. The reality is, all these things are yours. And then it goes on to say, and you are Christ. So I know who I am and I know whose I am. And so when I pray for the sick and when I pray for someone to get the Holy Ghost, I I don't feel I'm playing second fiddle to nobody. Right. I don't feel inferior to anybody. Now I, I know ability wise, I am way below so many people. But when it comes to, you know, my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I can preach and here I am it's the smallest district in the United Pentecostal Church maybe possibly the smallest church pastor congregation size of a minister to stand on the platform and preach I don't know you know and and yet that didn't like anyway she didn't define me like also like you know people like you know, are more people are now talking to me reaching out to me and all this stuff and right. and so like now they think they you know I'm of value because I was in a venue. Yeah. But that venue was not my defining moment. Right. My defining moment is every day in devotion. And when I found out who I am with Jesus, because the days are going to come, I'm not going to be asked to preach events. I'm not going to be, you know, preaching camps, conferences, conventions. And so if, if I don't know my value in prayer and my walk with God, I'm going to be a bitter person in a year or two or three when I'm stopped, when people stop asking me to preach places because the days come. coming. And so I better, I better, and and people that never get that opportunity, will always feel inferior to someone that has those opportunities. And you can get bitter and you can get jealous. And so I, I just strongly encourage this generation to get in prayer. But we're so distracted by media, and I preach a little bit about media, you know, NYC, and you know, challenge some people and ticked off some people. But I know what I heard from God. and, uh, and the, the reality is we're so distracted with media and we're so bogged down by what we watch and what we listen to that we're not motivated to pray. And uh, we we really need to reconsider this thing called media. We need to really reconsider what we do on our phones, what we watch yeah. and what we listen to because it absolutely impacts our devotional life. Yes, it does. We, yeah. have, we have high media right now and we have low prayer. And we need to be watching the right thing, and we need to watch and pray. Not pray and ask for forgiveness because we watched something we shouldn't have. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow. Man, for the mark, I'm just so uh, blessed by today's conversation. I want you to know this has has blessed me, and and I want you to know that I feel very honored and very privileged to get to speak with you today. Um, Would you mind closing us out in a word of prayer?
1: Yes, sir. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity, this privilege, Lord, to discuss these things on this platform. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you said in your word, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Lord, I pray that today would bring life to somebody. You said, God, that a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? I pray, God, that the right word at the right time will make all the world a difference. That there be a revival of prayer. God, I pray there be a revival of your word. And I pray, Jesus, that this generation that is coming up, Lord, would be that generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. For such a time as this, the greatest revival and outpour in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Man, Brother Mark, uh, I, I, I want you to know the French family loves you very much. We're, we're very proud of you and, and all that you're doing for the kingdom. We, we couldn't be more proud of you and your family and I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and thank you for investing into the listeners and helping us with some serious topics not not all of them are easy to hear but we need to hear them I love and appreciate you man I love you and you greet your family for me all right I'll do it bro you have a great rest of your night God bless all right God bless you take care bye-bye